Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our special guest speaker. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. Well, I have spoken recently about the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, excuse me, the fruit of the Spirit. I spoke about faithfulness. Everybody remember Emmet? Remember a little bit of Emmet? Well, before I tell you which fruit I want to speak about today, I want to tell you a story about my family. Everyone knows I have many children. And uh, at my house on Monday nights, what we do is we sit down as a family. Dad gets out the guitar and we play some songs. Sometimes there's other, other instruments that come out. Something they're not even instruments, but they're beat on pillows and so forth. And we sing worship songs. And then dad teaches. Sometimes mom will chip in here. Sometimes we'll have Asher, somebody speak, and then we'll have a time of prayer as a family. We do this every, 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 every week. At the end, you get a treat if you get all the questions right that dad asks. So at the end of the time, one, once we had a time of, of prayer, and I asked each of my children, and we were teaching on the, the fruit of the Spirit, what would you like the Lord to give you more of? What would you like the Lord to give you more of? And my son would say something like self-control. My daughter would say love for her sister. The other sister would say patience for her other sister. And my, when my younger daughter just kind of got out there and just said, more cake. <laughs> she, was, she was younger at the time. Um, but today I'd like to talk with you about another piece of the fruit or this fruit of the Spirit. And I want to read the little verse in Galatians and see if you can guess which one I'm going to hit on today. So it says in Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy. It's peace. It's patience. It's kindness. It's goodness. It's faithfulness. It's gentleness. And control. <laughs> There's a reason it's last. It's the least beloved of all the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it not? (laughs) Self-control. Self-control. Now, this would imply self-control if it's in the list that the self needs control. You know, is this true? You know, are we really born to be wild? Or better, are we born wild? Now, all parents in the house say yes. (laughs) Um, Jerry Seinfeld actually is one of my favorite. He puts it this way. He talks about when I was a kid, the only motivation I had in life is get candy, get more candy. You know, it was like a mantra running through my head, get candy, get candy, get candy, you know, school, friends, parents, these are just obstacles on the way of getting more candy. And they actually had to tell us, don't go into a strange weirdo's car, even if he has candy. They had to tell us that. And so, you know, when you're, when you're a kid, you hear this concept of Halloween. What is this? What is this? What do they, what do they, what do they say? They're giving away candy? Who, who's, who's giving away candy? Everyone we know is giving away candy? I got to be part of this. Take me with you. What do I have to do? I can wear that. I'll wear whatever I have to wear. I'll do whatever I have to do to get the candy from those fools who are stupidly giving it away. 
I would I would say yes, we are we are born wild and hungry. With desires and cravings and interests. It's actually part of the design. If you go into a forest, the trees and the vines, they're ravenous. They're ravenously hungry. That's how they thrive and grow. It's very natural. They are hungry, they consume, and they grow. But it's that hunger has to be controlled. In the biology, there's a, there's a word for uncontrolled growth. It's called neoplasm. That has another name. Cancer. Uncontrolled growth is dangerous. And so we are all hungry. We're born hungry. We're born wild. But that hunger must be controlled. It says in Proverbs 28, 25, 28, like a city whose walls are broken. It's basically a city without walls. That's a person who lacks self-control. Anything can just rush in and take what they want. For a person who doesn't have self-controls. In our, in our lives as adults, this is just the ability to say no. Now, Molly talked about last week about standing before the buffet in Cancun with millions of choices. And, but she, we, she said we have to make decisions about what we can eat or else we will get sick. We will get, get plagued by the get more disease. Self-control says, that's enough. I've had enough. I am enough. And self-control is, is the ability to say no to me. Say no to self. And if there's one word, self-control stops. That's what it does. And it's listed among the fruit of the Spirit. It's right there because without self-control, none of the other fruit is possible. We have to have self-control to give the spirit control. We have to take it back from ourselves so we can give it to the Lord. First, Second Timothy 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-control, self-discipline. So when we're spirit-controlled, not self-controlled, when we're spirit-controlled, we can be guided by someone who loves us eternally, who knows all about our past, who knows what's really going on, every cell, every atom, every molecule, and also knows all about the future. The Spirit knows all things. That's the kind of person I want my life in control of, because they know what's coming. They know how to prepare me for what's coming. So how do we grow in self-control, other, other than just by wanting to? How do we grow in self-control? Well, you know, for me, and, and really for all of us, as we become adults, we realize we can get as much candy as we want. And we realize eventually it stops satisfying us, some of us, stops satisfying us. So we become aware of other needs that we have. We become aware of needs such as food that we have to buy, needs such as shelter to provide, you know, needs, different kind of needs that we have. And so it from, goes from get candy to get money, to get money. What do I have to do to get the money from those fools who are stupidly giving it away? But why do we want money? I mean, it's really, ultimately, if you really think about it, money is just paper, it, and it really, and nowadays, it's not even paper anymore. It's just little bits on a bank app, isn't it? 
What, what is money? What is money in and of itself? Well, Adam Smith, not, you'd think of his current name, but he's actually a, a long time ago. He's the father of modern, modern economics, and he realized that money is power. Money is power. Money is earthly power, not spiritual power, earthly power. It's the ability to do what you want, the ability to buy what you want, get what you want, make certain people do what you want. Enough money gives a person the ability to turn their wants into reality. Money is earthly power. What's the problem? Why do we have to be self-controlled when it comes to money? I like money. Money can give us, and it does, it gives us the illusion that we are ultimately in control. With all this power, I'm in control. That we are like God. And this really was Lucifer's great sin that God called him out. This is what, he, this is what Lucifer, there's actually a quote in the Bible from what Lucifer said. He said, I will ascend above the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. That's bad. Without self-control and the right view of money or earthly power, we are at risk of believing this might be true for us too. That's why it's so dangerous. It's a lie. Satan was so wrapped up in power that he tried to tempt Jesus with it. He said, the devil is that again, the devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. He said, all this I will give you, he said. Now, some people believe that money in and of itself is just cursed all by itself. I don't believe it's cursed, but I believe it's very dangerous because of the fact that it is what money can do. And the Bible has a term for money, really earthly riches, that speaks of its potential to control us, to hurt us. And the word is mammon. Everybody say mammon. 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 Mammon is really the ability of earthly riches to control us. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one or love the other. You will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Mammon. You cannot serve both God and and mammon. So what happens to me? What happens to each of us when we start to serve mammon? What happens? The same thing that happens when we serve anything that isn't God. We start to cling to worthless things. And what happens inside of us, it slowly destroys us from the inside out. And it riddles us with fear and even greed. We'll suffer things that God never wanted us to suffer. And we'll miss out on life that he wants to give us. So I wanted to share some signs that some of these are true for me, by the way. That you might be suffering under the power of mammon. Do you think about money all the time? Do you worry about money chronically? All the time. 
Now, apart from stockbrokers and bond traders, do you check your stocks multiple times a day? You might be influenced by the power of mammon. Do you have a shopping addiction? Do you buy things to feel better? Are you in bondage to debt, specifically credit card debt? And do you feel nothing when someone presents a financial need because what's happening inside, it goes like this. You might be affected by the power of mammon in your life. and It is no fun at all. So what is the cure? What is the antidote for this power that is so prevalent, especially in American society, because there is so much money? Luke 6.38 Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. Leviticus 27.15 If one who dedicates their house, which is to redeem it, they must add a fifth to its value. The house, again, will become theirs. Just as Jesus redeemed us, he gave his life as a payment for sin. If we want God to rescue us, if we want God to help free, really free us from this, this bondage, a payment is required. Giving is a payment back to God. And the very act of giving in us, it works in us to, it works in us spiritually, emotionally, mentally, even physically. It works in us to free us from believing the lie that we are in control. The lie that we can be like God having enough earthly power. It frees us from the fears and the greed and all that goes with that that results in sleepless nights, that results in fear and suffering and loathsomeness and an unhappy life. Now, we might be tempted to give for the wrong reasons. One of the reasons we might be tempted to give, very normal. God needs my money. God requires my money to do what he wants to do. Ha! <laughs> Haggai 2.8, the silver and gold is mine, he says, the Lord. He's in Psalm 50.10, for every animal in the forest is mine. Cattle, the cattle on a thousand hills. The Lord, he owns it all. We, anything that we got in the, in the pocket, that's borrowed. That's borrowed. It be ultimately belongs to him. And if he wants to take that money back, he can do it like that. He's already rich beyond our wildest imagination, and even beyond that. Another reason we might be tempted to give is to save our church. To, 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 because the church needs it. Like, what are we going to do if, if, if no one gives? We, we need the money. Don't be deceived by that. This church belongs to God. The same one with all that silver and gold and cattle. If he wants us to have money, he will give it to us. If he doesn't, we won't. 
Those are not the reasons to give. So why does the father that we sang about today, why does he want us to give? Other than to avoid the power of mammon, fear and greed and pain and suffering, why does he want us to give? Well, I want to tell you a little story about my dad. I'd love to talk about my dad. I saw him last night. So there were special days actually around the holidays when my mom growing up in my, in my family, this is, this is me and my brothers, I'm the guy with the soccer ball. Um, my, my dad, uh, we, my mom would make these special meals, but she would just make enough for two, and it was sweet potato. I say sweet potato, not sweet potato. So she made us sweet potato, and she would, she, not, uh, she made my, my dad and her sweet potato, and she put marshmallows all on the sweet potato, and she would give him one, and then she would give herself one, and we would kind of watch, and my dad would start to eat his, and he would say to us, you can't have any of this. This is mine. You, you wouldn't like this. And the truth is, when I was 10 years old or 8 years old, I didn't like it. And I thought that he was trying to, and I wasn't a calculus professor, but I thought he was trying to use reverse psychology to get me to tr want to try something, kind of like Tom Sawyer did. Come on, Dad, give me a little bit. But I never fell for it. But what I realize now, I'm 47 years old, and I've, my tastes have changed, is that my dad loved me. He wasn't, he wasn't trying to get me to eat something that wasn't, didn't taste good. He wanted to be there when I finally enjoyed the sweet potato, when I finally was ready to really take it in and enjoy that what I enjoy now so much, sweet potato, with marshmallow and butter and salt. He wanted to be there because he enjoyed sweet potato and he wanted his son to enjoy the sweet potato too. People of Thrive, the Father loves you and he wants you to enjoy giving as much as he does. He is the giver. He's the giver of all good things and he loves to give and he wants us to delight in the same thing that he delights in. He wants to be there when you have sweet potato for the first time and you're like, wow. God knows that giving is a gift. It says in Acts 20, 35, about Jesus saying, it is better to give than to receive. It's better. Corinthians 9, 7, each one should give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, God loves a cheerful giver. In other words, with the right heart, with the right mind, giving is exciting. Giving is fun. Giving is exhilarating. Many of you have experienced this. I want all of us to experience this. And what's more, God promises us, he promises us, that when we give, he will reward us. When we give in faith, when we give in obedience, he'll respond. It says in Malachi 3.10, See if it, I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Proverbs 19.17, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. 
and he will repay him for his deed. Now, be clear. We don't give to receive. No, 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 no. That's not the motivation. We give out of love. We give out of obedience. We give out of worship. We give because we love to, because we know he loves to. And we know, we are aware he will reward us. Maybe now, maybe in the life to come where we are supposed to be storing up treasures in heaven. All right. That's why to give. To destroy the power of mammon and to delight obediently in the blessings and the joy that God has. That's why we give. So how do we give? How do we give? There's two ways that I was taught and the Bible says to give. First is tithes. It says in Malachi 3.10, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. A tithe is 10%. Now, Becky and I were taught by my dad and by her dad and by the church we went to that you give 10%. So we're like, okay, we've been giving 10% for 25 years. And it was hard at first. We were working minimum wage jobs, <laughs> making, but we made it a habit. And eventually it became easier. We didn't do it to receive God's love. We didn't do it to receive salvation. We didn't do it because we wanted to satisfy some law. We did it because God told us to. Now, tithing, there's a concern out there. I just want to be very straight with you. There's a concern out there that tithing is a law thing, an Old Testament law thing. Well, it is an Old Testament law thing. You're right. It says in Leviticus 27.30, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. So it is a law thing. But it actually was something happened before the law. Even before the law, there was tithing. This is even before Moses, when, even before Abraham. It was actually when Abraham was still called Abram. And it says in Genesis 14, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, God of the Most High, brought out bread and wine, and Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Before the law, tithing was happening. And Abram felt a response, a call to give 10% of the bounty, of the plunder. And some would say, well, it's just an Old Testament thing. It's, yeah, maybe it's before the law, but it's really for the Old Testament. We're really set free from all that. Not so fast. <laughs> Luke eleven forty two. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, and he said, he said to them, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give a tenth, you give a tithe, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. So even in the New Testament, even Jesus himself calls the tithe an obedient response. You should, he said. So this, this tithing stuff is hard. It is hard, especially if you're new to it. So I'm going to bring in some reinforcements right now to talk about her experience in tithing. She's like, I, I am. <laughs> Can I stand down here? Yeah. Is that all right? 
I know, I'm short. Um, so when Ryan's preparing to do a teaching, he sometime in the week before he gives the teaching, he um, we sit down together and he does a dry run. And I know Molly and Kevin do the same thing. And so when he's you know practicing it, I try to pretend like I'm sitting out in the you know in the congregation and I try to put on somebody else's ears and hear it through somebody else's ears not just my own so he was getting to this point in the teaching and I was thinking you know like you know Ryan that's all good for you right like this is what my mom says now Ryan and she wants to give a counterpoint You've been working in your career for 25 years, you and everybody else on the council who's getting up here and talking about giving, like, you guys all seem really comfortable. That's, you can afford to tithe. Fine, that's great for you. But you don't know my situation. You don't know that I'm working overtime every week. I'm working two jobs, three jobs, just to keep a roof over my head and food on the table. I would love to tithe. I would love to give. My heart's there, but the numbers just don't make sense. Um, so Ryan kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier, but some of you know this, some of you don't. Ryan and I got married when we were really young. I was 19, and he was two days past his 21st birthday. And our parents were happy and excited and supportive of us, and we walked down the aisle and you know, said our vows, and then those uh, financial spigots from our parents turned off. <laughs> Immediately, we were on our own, and um, we lived up in Madison. And I was folding clothes forty hours a week at Urban Outfitters, making five dollars an hour. And Ryan had a little part-time job on campus, and we were poor. We were like scrounging for quarters just to do our laundry. We were living in a crummy apartment that had no heat, and it was cold. And we just we had nothing. We had nothing. Um, and then, you know, Ryan finished his degree and we had a little bit more, but still then our car exploded on I-90 and we had to get a new car and then the babies started coming pretty quickly. And, and even if I had wanted to work, we couldn't afford the childcare. So we were on one income and Ryan was working two jobs or more. And he was... He was commuting into the city, and then he was coming home, and he was working hours at night, every night. And we were living paycheck to paycheck. If anything happened, we would have just gone under. You know? um, but early on, and I want to say it was like in our first or second year of marriage, we were challenged to take that step of faith with our tithe and um, to be a met in our giving and it was, I don't want to say it was like stepping off a cliff, but it was more like stepping into the fog, you know, and like, is there going to be, you know, sure footing when we take that step? It was scary. And there were so many times, like guys, we lived years like that, years and years, where that tithe check, we would write it out first thing and it would be like, man. It would really be nice to keep that hundred bucks in our bank account this this week, or you know, what if something else happens? And I will tell you that we had times where, like Hannah was born in those years. She was born fourteen weeks early. She spent three months in the hospital. Her hospital bill was three hundred thousand dollars. We were twenty six years old, 
we, you know, we had some insurance that covered a big portion of it, but we still had thousands and thousands of dollars that we did not have to pay for in medical bills, and somehow we paid them. I don't. I look back and I just am like floored. I don't know how we made that work. I say all that to say we have walked in those shoes. We know how hard it is to be faithful and how scary it is. But you know what? We have seen time and time again that the Lord is faithful. That that um, scripture in Malachi, it's one of my favorite ones because it's the only place where God says, test me in this. Brian didn't read that part, but he says, try me. Bring in the tithes and see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven. You know that other scripture that he read about the pressing it down and to overflowing? Try me. He is, he wants to give to us. He wants to bless us. And it's not about, it's not about a should thing. It's, it's about a, I love you. Come and join me in this. So, there you go. That's it. Thank you. She should have done that. Yeah. So that's the tithe. There's also offerings. This is above and beyond the tithe, giving to those in our community who are in need, giving to those missionaries, giving beyond the 10%. That's offerings. It says in Hebrews 13, 6, do not forget to do good and share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. And you should know too, when you give to Thrive, up 10%, the Thrive tithes too, 10% of what we bring in here goes to those types of things. Missionaries, those in need, churches. So it's really, really valuable to understand tithing and offerings. All right. Well, as as Rich announced last week, he's like, I'm not calling you up, don't worry. As Rich announced last week, we are in a special season of giving. And the reason we call it a special season of giving is because it's always the season of giving. It's always a season of giving. This is a special one. And it's an invitation to come to the waters, to see the blessing of God, to taste and see that he is good, to see if he will respond, to see what it's like to walk in this area of faithfulness. And it's a time to break the power of mammon in my life, in your life. And the freedom that comes. And so, just say it. For those that are not tithing, love you. This is a call to start tithing. To try it out. To, to, to begin there. That's the call. And it's for those that are tithing, awesome. It's a call to grow from there. Chances are, if you're tithing, you've, got, you've been blessed. Let's, let's keep growing in generosity and the delight and the sweet potato that the Lord offers So for the next several weeks, folks like Rich, folks like Mary, folks like Dan, Molly and Kevin, we're going to come up and share our testimony about giving, kind of like Becky just did. We're going to share about what what we've been through and how the Lord has responded, not necessarily always financially, but what he has done in our hearts when we obeyed him. So you're going to get to see that over the next few, few weeks in this special season. So... You know, question is, would you be open to this? Would you be open even now, even as I speak these words, to let the Lord search your heart?
let the Lord um, speak to you? Are your ears open to his still, soft voice in the silence? Are you open to this call of obedience in this area of your life? And are you open to all that he wants to bless you in? So I'd like to pray that he would give you the gift of self-control in this area. That he would spiritually come in and empower you to do what is very hard. Lord, I thank you for your word, which is very clear. I thank you, God, for being very plain with us about your desire. And Lord, I thank you that um, you do have great promises for us and great grace for us. And so, Lord, would you break through to my heart, to every person here, Lord, break through any mammon that might be covering us, that we can say no to mammon and say yes to you, Lord. Help us supernaturally to do that, God. Only you. Only you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.